Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. In this episode, you can hear my conversation with Bijal Shah, bibliotherapist, where we discuss the connection between well-being, reading and creativity, along with our usual Doubting Doris feature. But before we get to that, I want to encourage you to head to my website, nickyvalance.com, and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. First, let's get to a nugget of creative news in The Edge. of The Edge, where I bring you all the latest news and views about creativity. We're going to be talking about that thorny subject that's on everybody's lips, pretty much, AI. I'm not anti, because you can't be anti something that you haven't understood fully. But my instinct tells me, as with all revolutions, there are positives and negatives. And the future of humanity depends on distinguishing between what tech or AI can do for us to help our survival and what remains as uniquely a human trait. And I believe that is creativity. Whilst most things can be replicated, true creativity lives in the hearts and minds of humanity. We do not have enough understanding of how the human brain works to even scratch the surface of this yet. And of course, AI is driven by our input. So if we don't know how our brains work, how can it know? I've been watching the news around this topic and searching for articles, trying to form a balanced opinion on how it's going to impact us. Of course, it is already here. And lots of people are talking about how, for example, some jobs will disappear because AI will be able to do those jobs for us. People are worrying about whether the books that are going to be read in the future are actually going to be written by robots. And I think that's a lot of our vivid imagination taking things to perhaps what we've read and learned about in other people's fantasies in sci-fi, for example. But going to continue to be searching and learning for information on this topic because it's fascinating. I was actually able to contribute in a small way to a BBC Radio 4 Women's Hour programme where they were looking for listeners to write in on the topic of artificial intelligence and women, and I can share that link with you. And I've just recently picked up an article in Time on their website, written by Sheena Ayinga, who is a professor at Columbia Business School and the author of Think Bigger, How to Innovate. And it's a fascinating article which is very much looking at the positive aspects of having generative AI, chat GPT, and how it will take away lots of the work that's needed to look at the options we have available to us to enable us to make better choices. And ultimately, it's our choice to decide which of the options to follow. So that's an interesting angle on things. Then you've got the Society of Authors who are looking to try and protect people like me, authors, and their creativity, and advising on how to protect our own unique creative works of art. And I can share that link too. So those will all be in the show notes. But that takes me to talking about books 
and the impact they have on our well-being and what reading does for us. And that'll be what I'm discussing with my guest in this episode, Bijal Shah. Welcome, Bijal, to The Creative Switch. I'm delighted to have you here. We spoke, I don't even know how long ago, about the concept of this podcast, and I know that you were very keen to be involved. So I'm really grateful that you're here. I'm not going to say much about what you do, because I'd really like you to tell the listeners what you're about. But most of the conversation is going to be all focused around creativity. And the podcast is for people who are looking to switch on their creativity. Perhaps they've suppressed it for a little while, or, or maybe they're just looking to explore it for the first time. So it's going to be over to you. And most of the talking is going to be yours, but we're going to just have a conversation about all of that. So I'd very much like you to introduce yourself, what you do and why you do it. Yeah, sure. So I um, came across um, bibliotherapy, which is the use of literature as a therapeutic tool, and I was fascinated. I, you know, it was very much a part of my counselling training. I had to be in therapy myself uh, during that time, and I used bibliotherapy quite extensively. So literature, poetry, myths, and a lot of journaling, and. One of the things that I have to say as part of that therapy was I had to journal a lot. I had to uh, write a lot. And that really sort of fostered my creativity in a way because I had to get in touch with my emotions. And I found writing, journaling just incredible at accessing my creativity. And what I've learned over the years is actually a lot of creativity comes from you know, emotional wounds, from sort of things that have really triggered us and when we release our emotions we also open up the world to open ourselves up to more creative aspects of ourselves like such as our imagination such as fantasy such as vision boarding such as setting goals just all of those things that we would like to invite into our lives come initially come from getting in touch with our emotions and releasing them and opening the way for you know, new ways of thinking and new thoughts to come into our minds. So anyway, you know, I call all of those techniques creative bibliotherapy techniques, but really I think reading and writing go hand in hand and healing, I think, is is a big precursor to creativity or vice versa. But, you know, creativity helps you heal as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's both sides to it, really. Yeah. It's all in the mix, isn't it? It's all interconnected and uh, fascinating stuff about how we access it and which parts of the brain, you know, we're we're looking to kind of understand and and how writing in particular, I think, is a way of getting those sort of buried parts of you out. Would you say that's yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it might be triggered by writing, but uh, but triggered by reading, but it's the writing that's actually helping you heal and helping you connect with those emotions giving them language that you maybe didn't have before which then brings a sense of understanding a sense of being heard seen and then that leads to more to catharsis you know a relief of those emotions and a new way of looking at things you know yeah 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 for sure 
So you haven't always done this. I, I talk about switches. So there's sort of three types of guests on my podcast. And I'm being completely honest here. It's because I'm just really, really fascinated and curious about all of these topics, which is why I decided to set it up. So there are switchers who are the people who've done something else very successfully, maybe something that would be perceived to be a bit more sort of sensible, taken on a profession or built a professional career. And they've decided that they're not feeling fulfilled. And they've identified that the reason for that is they're not using their creativity. And then they literally switch from one to another. So I wonder whether you can tell us a little bit about, I know it's not quite the same thing, but it's certainly a a very significant perhaps pivot in direction, how that happened to you, what you were doing before, why you changed direction. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I started off working in investment banking straight after university. Well, I kind of, I worked in audit for three years, completed my accountancy training, and then sort of went into investment banking risk management, mm-hmm. and which is very much mathsy and numbers. And I did a mathematics degree. And whilst I found the work interesting, I never found it meaningful. I didn't find it rewarding. It was, it was quite pressured. And they, I just felt like there was something that wasn't being met a need and I realized how much I enjoyed how much I enjoyed reading and writing and helping other people that was you know that was hugely rewarding for me so I initially decided to do um you know a counseling diploma and sort of reach out to people and and sort of help them in a more meaningful way you know looking after their mental health you know I've had a lot of mental health issues on my side of the family. And I just felt that this was something I was really passionate about. And I really wanted to help people. And I I just suffered from anxiety and stress. And I just felt like I really wanted to help others and myself in in this area. I sort of started off in counseling and then realized when I was in therapy myself, how much I would be leveraging reading. I'd, I'd always found reading to be really healing. And I'd always be looking at picking up a book and feeling like oh my god I really resonate with that character or that character's experience is mine and you know and I started to bring in a lot more literature and books and poetry in my own sessions and I realized that as I was doing that I was also journaling and writing and that was quite helpful for my personal therapy because I was able to log everything and account for everything and then take that to my therapist and talk about it and I felt more able to express what I was going through because literature mm-hmm. gives a lot of language, which yes. you might not have the words for to even explain how you're feeling, you know. Um, so that part of reading was just vital to mm. sort of really connecting with myself and understanding what I was actually going through. And then the healing part came from the writing and the journaling. And I just felt like there's so much here that people aren't leveraging you know, and yeah, some people might find writing hard and they might find starting to journal quite hard. But once you're into it, you get you get into a bit of, bit of a rhythm. And that's where your creativity comes in because yeah. you do have to allow those that's those streams of consciousness thoughts in and just write, you know, and um and that's how you begin. I know we're often scared of writer's block or you know, these blocks, but We all have a creative part to us and we have to allow that to to thrive, to to just be allowed to be. And often we shut that off in in a lot of jobs, shut that off. And I think the reading and writing, the reading and the therapy really brought that out. 
Yeah. So I then felt that there's something that's not being tapped into here, that's not being explored. You know, almost like it, it was. It's a subset of art therapy, really, but using yes. literature yeah. stories. So I felt that I need to get the word out here, and I, you know, I'd done sort of quite a bit of research to see what people were doing in the sort of literature space, whether using literature as a form of therapy. And there's actually a long history of it from like the ancient. Oh, really? That's fascinating. Yeah, from the ancient Greeks and Montaigne and Wordsworth and Eliot. Like, I mean, I have a book coming out in November, and I talk about this history in a lot more detail. But you know, it's been around. A while and especially during the world wars it was heavily used even by doctors like poetry was used by doctors to communicate with their patients and relieve their patients and um and so you know i i came across a few more dissertations and you know research studies and, and there was actually a framework for bibliotherapy which again i talk about in my book and uh, and it's it parallels of course with traditional counseling and psychodynamic therapy and there are a lot of parallels because it does sort of leverage off that uh, but there and there have been studies and there are continuing to be studies but a lot of this hasn't been translated into mainstream culture and I guess that's where I'm coming in I'm sort of trying to promote the research and the studies around this to you know to show that it's evidence-based and to show that we can help ourselves through through reading and writing and using the creative aspects of ourselves as well that might have been forgotten. I think there's a lot of things that, that are happening now that science is sort of almost catching up with things that people instinctively knew were good for us. Yes. And perhaps we've sort of forgotten a lot of those things. And I'm sensing that people are recognising that creativity is something that isn't self-actualization level. But actually, I think it's much more fundamental than that, because it's not about whether you're good enough to do it as a job. It's actually, as you said, part of who you are. And if you don't access it, then um, you're not going to feel complete. And in any case, whatever you do, even if you are really into your maths and stay in investment banking, if you have some way of using your creativity, it will mean that you're a more rounded, happier person who can then do your job better. Or you might even be able to use your creativity in your job. So always round, I think it's it needs a lot more attention. And I'm, I mean, I, I know when we first spoke, I, I'd never heard of, of, of bibliotherapy before. So I'm, I'm really pleased you're kind of getting out there and getting the word out there with with your book because actually we often leave things until it's got to crisis point and we shouldn't be doing that we should be saying okay well we all know that nature is good for us and now that's you know being talked about all the time and I think the same thing is true of creativity I mean what, what do you think what does creativity mean to you yeah absolutely I mean you know creativity allows us to really aid our mental health in the sense that creativity allows us to explore our emotions. Creativity allows us to open ourselves up to vision our goals. Creativity allows us to fantasize a little bit, which I think is actually quite healthy in, in a world where reality can sometimes be quite, quite difficult and mm. we do have mental breaks. Um, and I'm not saying like just daydreaming and fantasizing but just kind of allowing ourselves to be more open to new ways of looking at things new ways of thinking new insights hope you know in in my first book I, I talk about cultivating hope it's such a big part of our mental health mm -hmm. and I think for hope we need to find creative ways of looking at the future and having a positive vision for ourselves otherwise there is there's no hope right so yeah need to be able to cultivate hope in that way. For me, creativity and mental health go hand in hand. And I always tend to approach creativity from that perspective. Other 
other people might have a different view, but being a bibliotherapist, yeah. that is what I do the most, you know, the, what, how I yeah. leverage creativity the most. So yeah. that's always been, that's always going to be my sort of perspective on it. Sure. Okay. So can we talk a little bit more then about maybe, I mean, obviously you can't tell us the whole content of how you actually do your job or give us a bibliotherapy session now, but can you talk a little bit about what that process is like for people that you're working with and how it helps them? Yeah, sure. So, you know, um, before people come to see me, I'll ask them to sort of fill out a very short questionnaire about Mm. what it is that they're going through right now, any difficulties, their current life situation, anything they'd like me to focus on. And then I I get a sense of their reading preferences and uh, what they've connected, books that they've connected with in the past, reading styles. Because what I want to do is when I suggest books for people to go away and read, I feel like they really need to connect with the book. Otherwise, they're just not going to read it. And the whole process is just not going to be as effective as it could be. Like bibliotherapy is all about connection. And when we when we find ourselves reading a book or a genre that we're really into, we find that connection. So that really is the first stage of setting up, I guess, the therapeutic platform. And, And once we have that connection and sense of safety and trust, that's when we can start observing ourselves and as part of the therapeutic process in the first session is always just going to be understanding where the client is and you know what books are going to be helpful for them and then the second stage is always getting them to sort of get those books journal send me those journals in between sessions and that's when the actual work starts to happen I want find clues in in the literature triggers what's upset them what's not what what have they found interesting about something just anything I'm looking for clues in their reading process and then you know we will focus on that you know it could be that somebody's reading about I don't know having a really difficult mother and really being able to resonate with that character's experience mother because they themselves might have had a difficult childhood or a mother that they are very sort of ambivalent about um, and then, you know, we know that sort of kickstarts the process of, of looking into their own relationship with their mother. And then, you know, we also look at ways that of coping strategies that could be either from the literature or it could just be general coping strategies from my own past you know, experience as a, as a mm-hmm. counsellor. So, you know, we, we sort of use all of that. And then we also use um, letter writing um, to characters, to the author, because that also allows them to voice their emotions. And then they sort of have to write back to themselves from the character of the author. So it's really kind of kickstarting this healing within of a switching from mindsets. Um, so yeah. being able to reframe, rethink, um, and then also understand what it is that might help them heal and see that in the, in the return response. So that is a very sort of active technique that we use beyond just talking, talking therapy, which I think is quite passive. I think therapy has to be quite an act and I think it has to be about releasing those emotions and it has to be about inviting new ways of thinking um and I feel like writing really helps you to do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we also use things like narrative therapy which is rewriting your story from a more with a more positive spin at the end or helping you find some closure or, or make sense of a situation that's been quite traumatic so narrative therapy we use that a lot with adults and children Mm-hmm. And then just reflective practice, as you would in medicine and other and in nursing, you know, where you kind of reflect on a piece of literature and then you kind of um, set out your goals from the outset, what you want to achieve from this therapy session and then kind of um, work, use that text to kind of get there. So, um, I mean, I talk about all of these 
techniques in the book yeah. and more with lots of examples, with client stories. So there's a lot of more practical information in the book. That's fantastic. So a couple of things I'm thinking when you were talking there. There's, the first one is, I'm sure people are going to say, how on earth, even though you've obviously got to understand your client in that first session how on earth do you know which books they need how do you know how I mean there's so many books out there how do you choose do you have like a a kind of a set number of of really solid texts that you know have helped other people or do you just read so widely that you've got like a a, an amazing bank of of memory of books that you've read yourself how do you do it yeah no so it's I mean it's a very valid question and I get this question asked a lot so I have a day you do (laughs) No, I have a database of books arranged by mental health themes. And I share those on my website for free. I have a lot of free reading lists arranged in A to Z order of depression, anxiety, all of that. But it's, and it covers fiction, nonfiction, poetry, because I want to make sure that it's within the genre that the preferred genre of the reader. But really, it's over time, a lot of books that I've read, but a lot of research that I've done on, on, um, on helping clients with books that I've, I've suggested that I've not had a chance to read, but I've, you know, reached out to other therapists or other counselors mm-hmm. or other clients because I get a lot of people sharing with me what they've read and what they've found helpful. So I do use that as well. You know, I do log all of that. And so I'm con- constantly building, updating this database because, and I may not have read everything, but I, you know, I... No. If I haven't read it, it has to be very credible. It has to come from another credible source who has read it. It has to come from client feedback, industry news, reviews. So, you know, there is this sort of research aspect to it as well. Yeah. So you're constantly sort of trying to add to the database of of options for people. Brilliant. And then the other question, the other question I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. The other question I was thinking as you were talking was obviously the process is very much an individual one for, for the people who are taking part in it. But do you see any sort of themes about when they're coming out the other side about how they're then using their writing, perhaps, or any creativity that they've tapped into because of the change of mindset or or whatever? Do you sort of see a common response to having come through the therapy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, most people want to then go and write their own books or memoirs or children's books or something. There's always that, that desire to then pass on the knowledge and... I mean, not necessarily the knowledge, but what what, what they found helpful in, in the form of fiction um, and write a book about it or a story about it and that can help others or the, or otherwise a memoir to talk about their life, life history and how they managed to overcome something. You know, there's always that real kind of desire because once you've yeah. been through the therapy, you've, you've now been, you're now able to make sense of it and see it from the other side. And there's a lot of value in that, that you want to get out that's always been like the main kind of I would say from the main product of that or otherwise you know starting their own like book groups or book clubs that where they can talk about themes you know and then read a book that focuses on that so I've had a lot of people start that as well um, because I have an online course filled with some some of these techniques a lot of librarians do the course and booksellers and also therapists and counsellors and, and coaches. Um, and then they go ahead and set up these groups that they feel will be helpful to talk about themes using books. Um, so there is also that, that that people tend to do. 
So what about for yourself? You, you mentioned earlier on that one of the reasons you sort of gravitated towards this profession is because, you know, you felt it would be helpful and also meaningful. So you're clearly getting huge amounts of value for yourself out of helping other people because it's giving you meaning. But do you have yeah. any other outlets for your creativity? Do you do anything else other than writing? And, and obviously the writing you're doing that you've mentioned is for your business to support your profession. Do you do any other kind of writing? Do you do sort of poetry or fiction writing or do you do anything else? that's creative (laughs) I love writing poetry um I love writing poetry I don't share all of it but I I write because there's a real impact when you write poetry and captures your emotions it just captures your emotions so succinctly and so precisely that if you were to ask me what I prefer do I like journaling or do I like poetry I'd probably say I like writing poetry because of the conciseness because of the immediate access to Mm. that emotional outlet like you can just talk about how you feel and and the way you write it as well like it's just it's quite profound and um when I read it again I really feel like I've I've captured my emotions and that in real immediate access to it because of the because you're forced to be concise and and the brevity you're, you're actually forced to like really hone in on what's going on with you and it's yeah, it's it's less waffle, it's less stream of consciousness. You know, it's very much yeah. It's t- it's definitely tighter, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with you, and I've I don't I actually very rarely share my poetry. I nearly always write it just for me. Um, I started out as a writer. I mean, obviously, I've written and published a novel, and I'm writing my second one. But actually, mm-hmm. yeah. I think my core writing kind of person was 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 a poet I started writing when I was in junior school and I've still got like an anthology of all the poems I wrote and I think it's because I read a lot of both books and poetry and I thought I fancy writing some myself and it sort of seemed to come quite naturally (laughs) Um, but it's not because it's one of those things where we this is what we were talking about earlier that creative side of you doesn't have to have a sort of an outward or external purpose it's it's really to help you feel fulfilled or to for you to sort of uh deal with something that's unresolved and I think that's one of the things that poetry definitely does for me it's interesting poets who are that's their job that's their profession I think it's actually very hard for them to reach the people that would resonate with their work because it's for some reason doesn't seem to be as valued I don't know whether you would agree with that I mean obviously you may well use I'm sure you do use poetry anthologies to recommend to your clients but what do you think about that why is it people find it difficult to connect with it sometimes I think you know it really just really depends on the style like recently I know a lot of readers connected with people like Rupi Kaur and Nikita Gale and you know because it's been their, their writing has been quite modern their poetry writing has been very modern I sometimes wonder if it's just the the barrier is just mm-hmm. the way the time at which the poetry was written like older poetry can sometimes feel a bit harder to digest or understand yeah. we need to work at it to figure out what's going on whereas more modern poetry can really hone in on our feelings and our emotions yeah. you know we're not always going to connect with every poem and that's fine you know it's, it's finding the ones that you connect with yeah um and sometimes you might need to work at it because once you've worked at it and got through to the other side it just becomes very clear that actually I can really connect with this poet and his experience but yeah. you know timeless ones I'd always say you know like Robert Frost 
his poetry has has is just timeless. John O'Donoghue, Mary Oliver, like you know, their their poems have just stood the test of time. Yeah, and so they are. Whereas Shakespeare, I don't know. I sometimes. I mean, I think with something like Shakespeare, it's um, the volume of work that's there, and I think. What I really love about it is when somebody comes along and interprets it and turns it into something that is very accessible and modern, but based on the concepts and the themes that were there in the first place. And I think that's why it's probably still so popular is because it's very human. And actually, although the language can sometimes be a barrier, at the time it wouldn't have been because people would have understood that that's that's how people portrayed things. So it's more about sort of almost understanding the language. And if you can do that, then you can access it. But if you can't, you, you can just find someone who's done that translation for you in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just that synopsis and just the, the moral yeah. of the story and the story itself, which is probably the largest part of it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many universal themes in there. And, and actually, nothing is really very new. It's just new interpretations of the same things that matter to us all, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just true. Um, so, so writing still is, is very much your your creative outlet then, would you say? Yeah, I I have to say it's always that putting that pen to paper. Although mm. I would love to, you know, recently I was getting into sort of illustration and, and drawing because I do feel drawing is also quite expressive. Um, yeah. And sometimes when we can't put into words what we're feeling, we can put into art and drawing. And I use that a lot with children. So I feel like it should it should be something that, again, uh, I would love to explore in for myself more. Art, artistic aspects, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always wondered, I don't know whether this is true. When I when I write my my prose, when I'm writing my books, I am quite unusual in today's time in that I write longhand. And I then there's some fantastic tools now that mean you don't have to then type it all up because you can just use a, a translation tool. It's really, really easy nowadays with AI to do that. But I do definitely feel I'm accessing something different when I'm writing as opposed to typing. And I'm sure that I've heard artists say the same thing. It's it's the connection, the physical connection between the hand and the brain. Yeah. You, in your research, have you found anything that supports that? Yeah, I have. And I think it, it also goes back to why we prefer paperbacks to the Kindle. There's something, there's a kinetic element to it, that, mm. thing, that sense of feeling and touch um that just holds that extra I don't know we feel like you know we're being held by like I don't know something about the kinetic aspects of it that definitely means that we feel we are more connected um, to something than we are when we're just reading on a kindle or I guess typing on a laptop there is a more sensory element to it and it's a connection yeah Yeah. I mean I I guess if we wore I'd always I mean I'd be happy to volunteer for a study for this but if you're wearing uh, a sort of a brain sensor you know one of those kits with all the pads on to yeah. work out which, which parts of your brain are active I'm sure it would show that it's different parts of the brain that are being used I yeah just, I, mean, I don't know because I'm not a neuroscience scientist, yeah, no, but, um, study on this on, on the paperbacks angle and um, yeah. I can't remember the details of it but it was always the preferred option to like reading on the kindle because right. sort of sense of connection um 
Yeah. And of course, lots of people talk about those that are fans of paperbacks, uh, of physical books, talk about the smell of the book and the <laughs> feel of the book and, you know, don't they? I mean, I'm, I'm not quite that, but I know a lot of librarians, you know, that is definitely something because it's their environment, isn't it? They're sort of surrounded yeah. by books. And as those books age, they change uh, the way they smell changes as well. It's not, it's not just the touch of it. No, no. And then there's a sense of the, the book having a bit of wisdom in it because of the aging or the age of the book and and it's weird how we have these subconscious ideas yeah sometimes those books do definitely feel like certainly the favorite ones do feel like they have a life of their own in some way definitely (laughs) you must have I don't know I'm sure you've heard of the Midlight Library have you read the Midlight Library yeah yeah I have yeah I do suggest that a lot for yeah I, I just I loved it because it was sort of it's obviously got that fantastical element to it. We probably shouldn't talk about it in too much detail because people will go, what are they talking about? But basically the the connection between the the library is a portal to to help the individual who is suffering and experiences different versions of her own life depending on which part of the book it's in. And I just I just I loved that description of of how it was that place that was the thing that was going to be her way to find the answer I just thought I thought that was brilliant yeah I mean it just it's just holding all these clues <laughs> yeah yeah I, I loved it I thought the whole concept was was brilliant and he's also a great writer Matt Haig yeah. yeah definitely so is there anything else that you think I mean obviously your book's going to be coming out and we can we can definitely point people in the right direction to that is there anything else that you wanted to sort of add around the whole topic of of creativity of books of reading or do you think we've kind of covered the basics of 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 what people would need to know no I think I think we've 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 covered the basics you know I mean there's a lot more detail that I can give you around the frameworks that we use and but I think for that you kind of need some time to process it yeah of course of course it feels a bit academic all I would say is, as I always end, is, you know, you can get a lot more out of your reading if you sort of leverage it and use these tools to leverage it. Because often we find ourselves being passive readers and, you know, there's so much more we can get out of our reading. So always have that in the back of your mind when you pick up a book, which, you know, I'm sure we all pick up a book because we're curious about something or we want us want it to help us in some way. But you can then use these, these tools that I've talked about to really mm-hmm. leverage so I would always say like just think about that and also think about how I know a lot of people say oh I just read when I'm on holiday I'm just a holiday reader I'd I'd say look incorporate reading into your life like you would go into the gym or exercise like even 10 minutes a day you'll be surprised as to how much you end up reading by the end of the year and it's a great tool for like relaxation and just almost like a mindfulness practice Yeah, if you choose the right book, you absolutely get lost, don't you? So I, I totally agree with you on the mindfulness part of it. I find for me, if I read fiction, I tend to read that at night. I find it more sort of soothing and more relaxing. If I read a really good nonfiction book, it's no good because my brain's going off here, there and everywhere trying to work out how to use what I've learned. So I tend to do that, yeah, at, you know, in the morning or at a different time in the day. Yeah, it's interesting how the time of day also affects how you read. Because I think we are two different people. We're different people in the morning and we're different people at night. So (laughs) that makes sense with the reading too. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So um, it's been brilliant talking to you. I'm sure we could, um, I could have you on again another time. There's there's so much to explore here. I hope people have found it interesting. It's certainly something that would be a therapy part of what you do is just 
I think really important and totally underpublicized, really. So I think it's great that you're getting out there and, and talking about it and, and writing a book about it so p- it, more people can access it. I think that's the thing. Thank you so much for being my guest, Bijal. Tell people where they can find you. Where do you want them to go to find more about you and what you do? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on the website at www.booktherapy.io. And you can also find me on Instagram at booktherapy underscore by underscore Bijal. And um, even if you Google Bijal Shah Bibliotherapy, The Healing Power of Reading, you'll probably find the book. It's up now, but it's actually out on November 9th. So you, you could get a copy now at a slight discount and then yeah. read it in November if you wanted. <laughs> I think it's always good to, you know, if you hear about something, I would forget if I didn't buy it, you know, today on pre-order, I'd probably forget about it. So yeah, no, I would encourage people to do that if they're interested in finding out a little bit more. Maybe they don't feel that they want therapy. I mean, often people are a little bit scared of it, but I think just understanding what it might do for you might might open some doors yeah. um, going and- forward. I, I probably didn't stress this enough, but bibliotherapy is, is also, you can definitely use self-bibliotherapy using the techniques. You don't necessarily need to see a counsellor or a therapist. You can actually yeah. use the techniques for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, an, it's a good alternative, isn't it? Because I think talking is, is great, um, works for some people, doesn't always work for everybody. And this, this might be another way to find the answers that you're looking for. So it's brilliant. As I said, thank you so much for being my guest on the Creative Switch podcast. And I look forward to keeping an eye on how you're getting on. Thanks a lot. Great. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. So that conversation with Bijal was fascinating. And I'm definitely going to look into bibliotherapy and learn more about it because I just think it's a great idea and tool for our well-being but it did get me thinking about doubting Doris's and I guess it's time for that conversation about doubting Doris's again and this time I'm going to share one of my doubting Doris stories and there are a few but this one definitely stands out in my memory so when I was in secondary school preparing for my first set of exams, which at that time were called O-level. So that shows you a little bit about how old I am. And I loved English. I loved writing stories. I had always written stories. I recently saw a little book that I'd made when I was, I must have been six or something, a little pamphlet with pictures that I'd drawn, not very good pictures, and a story about a kangaroo that my dad had. He found it in uh, one of his filing cabinets. And I didn't even remember writing that story. But obviously, I've been writing stories for a long time and loved English. So as I said, I was studying for my O-level English and already had a really joyful experience of writing. And I wrote the story, which I thought when I wrote it, it felt like a really good expression of my ideas and it definitely, I th- thought, met the brief of the of the essay. We had to write essays that, if you got 100%, would be 20 marks. And I was very, very excited to get the results back of this particular piece of homework. And I was so disappointed that I got 10 out of 20. And I, and I thought, basically, that must mean I'm not very good at this. And I asked my teacher, why was it 10 out of 20? And she said, well, in this marking scheme we have to take off one point for every spelling mistake. And you've made eight spelling mistakes and two other grammatical errors. So therefore, I have to give you 10. 
so to me what she was saying is you're not good enough at english that's what i took took away from that experience but actually what she was saying is you're just not very good at spelling which i knew i knew it was something that i was going to have to work on and thank goodness now we've got spell checkers and proofreaders and all those people but it wasn't anything to do with my creativity or my ability to write stories it definitely had an impact. It, it made me think that I wasn't as good as my friend, my best friend who I used to sit next to in class, who did go on to have a career that used writing as part of her, her job. So, yeah, it stuck with me. And it took a little while for that joy to resurface. So some people will suppress things for a little while because of that kind of experience, but others will say, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. I don't believe you. I'm going to go and do this creative thing anyway. And we'll be sharing more of those stories every episode. Look forward to hearing about them in the Creative Switch community. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review over on podchaser.com and if you've got any questions, please let me know on Twitter at Nikki underscore Valance. I do hope you join me and my next guest, Penilla Hughes, who writes what she calls funny kissing books. And remember, why survive when you can thrive?